Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting episode of the Closers Inner Circle Podcast, hosted by Denise Griffiths and Ben Gay III on your partner in Success Radio. Now, Ben joins me each Wednesday for the Closers Inner Circle Podcast, where we discuss sales mastery, among other things, but mostly sales mastery. We're all in sales, whether we like it or not, or whether we admit it or not, we are in sales. So if you're serious about mastering the art of sales and achieving unparalleled success in your entrepreneurial journey, <clears throat> excuse me, the closers, also known as the sales Bibles by Ben Gay Third, I mention his name a lot, should be an indispensable part of your library, your entrepreneurial library. These books are not just sales guides. They're comprehensive roadmaps to success in the world of sales and persuasion. And Ben, who is a renowned sales guru, I hate that word, but he is. I mean, he's been doing this for a long time. He's extremely well known. And these books are known as the sales Bibles. And he shares a wealth of knowledge, tactics, and strategies that have been tested and proven over decades. And inside these pages, you're going to discover the secrets of closing deals effectively, building lasting client relationships, and that is so important, and maximizing your earning potential. So whether you're a seasoned entrepreneur or just starting out, these books provide timeless wisdom that will empower you to excel in any sales-driven endeavor. And any sales-driven endeavor could be a resume. <laughs> it could be you're going to get on your knees and ask somebody to marry you. You're in sales. So don't miss the opportunity to tap into Ben Gay's unmatched expertise. And let's go. So grab your copies and I'll tell he'll show us later how you find those. So good morning, Ben. Welcome back. Last week we were answering or you were answering questions from the audience when we lost the signal just at the very end and had to shut it down just when you were answering a question about, and this was an odd question, I thought, but about if you this gentleman, and I can't remember his name, I'm sorry, but he wanted to know if you were ever dishonest in sales. Take it away, Ben. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, that was the question. And yes, I was, uh, <clears throat> especially in the early days, most people in selling are guilty of a little exaggeration. In court, they call that puffing. Uh, it's not a crime, but uh, it's an exaggeration. Puffing is saying this is the greatest product on earth, whatever the product is, uh, even though you really couldn't prove that probably in a court of law, but it's sort of allowable. Uh, I try to stay even away from that now, but the question uh, was direct and my answer was direct. I'm not sure where we cut off, so let me just quickly recap the whole thing. I was a manufacturer. The question is, were you ever dishonest in sales? Uh, the uh, example I was giving was I was doing uh, sales presentations in North and South Carolina on a swing out of Atlanta as a manufacturer's rep. We sold lots of pro different products from different manufacturers and so on. But the new product we had that was so exciting was a can of hairspray, a large can of hairspray that I had tested on my mother and sister and everybody. And it was highly effective and a great sentinel. And uh, it retailed. They could do whatever they wanted, but generally they keystoned it. That means doubled the price. We sold it to them for 44 cents. They retailed it for 88 cents. 
And it was a good deal for them, good deal for us, good deal for the customers. Everybody was happy. So I called on this company. I think it was Harris Teeter. I wouldn't swear to that, but they were a large grocery chain. Perhaps they still are. And uh, I called on them. And having grown up in the food brokers business, I heard stories every night from my father about how his day went and so on. And one of the things that he... Uh, one of his biggest accounts, it was a grocery chain called Big Apple, owned by Alterman Brothers. Uh, George Alterman had a secretary, receptionist, assistant, who apparently was the gatekeeper from hell. Her name was Sybil. And every night at dinner, if he'd had any contact with that company during the day, there would be, uh, how was your day, Dad? Well, uh, Sybil and I... <laughs> And off he would go on some tale of woe. He got along great with the, the brothers who owned the company, sold a lot of stuff to them, and so on. But Sybil was a living nightmare. So fast forward a few years, I'm in North or South Carolina calling on Harris Teeter. I'm talking to their head buyer, and uh, I'm presenting lots of products and services. But among them was this miracle hairspray. And he says, wow, 88, I can retail for 88 cents. That's great. He was happy. He said, have you sold it to anybody else? And I said, uh, reaching back into my dinnertime conversations with my father, I said, oh, yes, uh, I just sold a, a carload, I think I said. Uh, if I'd really sold it, I would have known, known the number of cases, but I'd heard the term carload, so I threw that out. Uh, I've sold a carload to uh, Altman Brothers in Atlanta, Big Apple, and they're just doing great with it. And I was young enough and stupid enough to not know. They probably knew each other. Probably went to meetings together and conventions together and so on. So I'm sitting there and he said, well, that's, that's interesting. I think, all right, we're going to sell a bunch of hairspray this guy. He leans over to his intercom which I assume went to his secretary. And he said, uh, we'll call her Barbara. <clears throat> Barbara, get Sybil on the phone at Big Apple. <laughs> Sorry. <And> I, <laughs> the hair on the back of my neck went up. I never met Sybil. I had met the Alterman brothers working with dad in conventions and shows, but we weren't buddies. And I had never called on them for any reason. I didn't sell food. And uh, had not yet thought that maybe I could sell some of the stuff I did to them. But get Sybil on the phone, the hair on my back, back in my neck went up. And then, thank God, or he was playing with me, he said, excuse me, and got up and walked out, leaving me alone in his office just long enough to grab my sample can of hairspray, my business card, any sign that I had been there. I would wipe down the office for DNA. <laughs> Did you wipe off your fingerprints? Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing. I can, I'm picturing yeah. this in my head. And out the door I went. Uh, keep in mind, I was 21 years old, still had traces of acne, might have still had a flat top, I don't recall, uh, and was dressed in my cheap Robert Hall uh, suit. With Robert Hall, you got a jacket and two pairs of pants and a vest. Uh, all for, you know, whatever, $59, and it looked like it. So <laughs> down the hall, Ben Gay the third went, hoping to God this story wouldn't get back to Ben Gay Jr. 
my father uh, and uh, so on. And I, I never went back, never called them again. They never called me. Of course, they couldn't. I had the only business card <laughs> they'd ever had. And I ran from the building into the parking lot, got into my car. And if it, it was an automatic, so I'm not sure it could scratch off. But if it could, it did, because I jumped on the gas and got out of there as fast as I could. And then visit by now, I'm not living at home anymore, visiting with mom and dad. I used to wait for the first five or 10 minutes to go by, because if there were bad news, it would come up early, waiting for him to say, Ben, did you ever call on Harris Teeter? Oh, <laughs> and I think I, I think I would have denied it. No, why? Why do you ask? Who is Harris Teeter? You know, and, uh, but it never came up again. So the guy didn't follow up. I think looking back, he was just giving me time to escape and watching I, the window. You yeah, yeah a lot watch, of entertainment. Watch me jump into the getaway car <laughs> <laughs> and take off. And I've had other things that weren't deliberate. I used to sell the Foley quad cut a lawnmower at Macy's, and I loved it because I've been in the lawnmowing business. Right. That's where we got cut off. Okay. 42 inches wide, saved X number of trips around the property. Uh, I envisioned it cutting much better because it had four little blades instead of one great big blade. I had forgotten, not even, it never crossed my mind, that in the south with the moisture in the grass, that might make the belts slip. One belt went out to each of the four blades. And uh, sure enough, they did. And the way I discovered that, having sold them to my friends, relatives, my godfather, and so on, I was out in the warehouse one day. And when they were given to me to sell, there was a spiff on them. I had 500 Foley quad cuts. They were going out of business. Looking back, I now know why. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they were going out of business. But stacked there, yeah, stacked there in the in the uh, repair shop where I didn't count them, but it looked like all 500 that I had sold all returned because uh, uh, they didn't work. But that was an honest mistake. The uh, line about the hairspray was a flat out lie. And but it's I, funny. <laughs> yeah, well, if you survive the experience, it's funny. But I, you know, I was thinking, oh my God, I brought down my father's food brokerage company uh, with one stupid story. But I repeat, never came up again. So I, knowing my dad, he never heard the story. So you would have heard about it, had he? Oh yeah, yeah, it would have come. It would have come up. I was told uh, as a young man, and I think senior year in high school, that I couldn't have a car. My grades weren't good enough. Uh, they didn't trust me <laughs> loose with the car. And uh, so I bought a 1936 Chevrolet and uh, for $50, a neighbor moved it out of their garage to the street and put a brand new car in the garage. So I figured, oh, they're, they're getting rid of this or whatever, knocked on the door. Uh, Is your Chevrolet for sale? And she said, well, I haven't thought about it, but sure. And I said, what would you like for it? She said, $50. So I went to the bank, got $50, gave it to her. And now I had a car. But I couldn't bring it home because I've been told not to get a car. So I parked it about a block and a half away from the house. And any time I was in it and just walked in and left it parked on the street. A few days later, 
you know, you don't know how word gets around in the parent network. But a few days later, I go walking down to my car and there's no car. Oh. There, there is a note stapled or nailed to a tree right where it was parked. And all it says is, I said no car. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't. This uh, my tummy hurts already from yeah. like, where'd the car go? I what, don't know. It never, never came saw up. it again. Oh never saw God. it again. Obviously never saw my $50 again. <laughs> At, I dreaded dinner that night. Never came up. I knew oh, my dad's, I, I knew my dad's handwriting. There was no doubt who had taken the car. And uh, he went to his grave with that as an untold story. Uh, he was a good psychological terrorist, wasn't he? <laughs> I like yeah, him. Yeah, go ahead and beat me. Let's get this over with. Probably would have been a better solution to my problem. But uh, that never came up. So dishonesty hasn't paid very well for me. Cost me a car, and I never called on Harris Teeter again and uh, lived in fear for quite some time. I read something today. This isn't responding to an email. Uh, but it was really clever because you and I have talked about everybody's in selling and all. You just mentioned it. And I said, yeah, even if it's selling Gigi on where we're going to eat tonight. Right. Multiple choice closes and so on. I don't really care, but I am trying to avoid. There's a couple of places I just assume not eat in. So they are never in my multiple choices. But on, on the Internet, somebody said that they had stumbled on something to get over that problem with their wives. They say, as they get in the car, guess where we're going tonight? And then she either guesses or refuses to guess or whatever. So you got to stay with it. No, no, we're not leaving the driveway. So you guess where we're going tonight? And she guesses. And he says, you're unbelievable. How'd you know that? And then they, <laughs> and I thought, that's good. That would have saved me a half an hour about three nights a week if I'd Aww. known that. Now, unfortunately, Gigi walked by while I was telling that story, so it probably won't work on her. No, and I would probably rat you out anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send her a note and say, hey, have you heard today's podcast? <laughs> it's interesting. So. <laughs> Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, I'm, when you're talking about Sybil, it and I just I picked up the closers part two, just picked it up, and this is what it opened to all by itself, largely because I had a sticky in it, so I must have wanted to talk about it at some point. But this kind of talks about what you're talking about with her, and I'm what on page on one forty one. Okay, switchboard is killing you, and it starts yeah. up. Many of you are making less than you ought to. Many of you are living well beneath your potential living standard. Many of you don't dress as well, eat as well, or drive as well as you ought to. Why? Because a substantial portion of your sales, and this is important, this is Sybil, are, are killed before they ever get to you. They're viciously murdered yeah. by your killer switchboard. And her name was Sybil, apparently. <laughs> Probably so. I'll tell you how I... I didn't lose a client, but put it on shaky ground. There was a guy named Ralph Johnson. Um, who owned, he, he's the one who created containerized shipping of your household goods. Uh, Pods is one of them now. 
His was Vanguard International Carriers, big blue containers. And he, he created it for uh, going uh, military families being shipped. And they were always breaking their furniture. So the new deal was they put one of these in front of your house, you load it up. Next time you see it's in Germany in your new front yard, you unload it. And uh, that was a great breakthrough in the time. In the time, and he created it out of used containers that they were shipping other things in anyway, automobiles and so on, all over the world. He said there may be some other way to use it. So anyway, I left the company I had been with for quite some time, and Ralph Johnson heard about it, and he called me. He said, "Would you come over and do some consulting uh, with me? I'd like for you to do." for me, what you've done for Holiday Magic Cosmetics and some of the other companies. And I said, sure. So I went over and sat in his lobby waiting for my time. And he had a secretary, a receptionist like Sybil. I haven't thought of this in years, but uh, she was hanging up on people and rude to people and and uh, rude to the she was semi rude to me. I didn't give her much to work with. I just sat down, announced myself, and sat down. And uh, but I couldn't believe it. I listened to fifteen or twenty minutes of her insulting everyone she came in contact with, employees, visitors, people on the phone, as bad as anybody I ever heard. So I walk into my time. I walk into Ralph's office, and he says, "Well." How are you going to help me today? What's your great suggestion? I said, well, first, pardon my language, Denise, first, you need to get rid of that bitch in the lobby. Mm -hmm. And he, he laughed and he said, uh, you know, I would, but it's my sister. I knew she was related. I was going to say that's going to be his wife. I knew that was coming. <laughs> it's like, you can't fire your family and you can't, you really can't fire your wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I thought, note to self, let's be sure who we're talking to and about before we come off with our rough, tough consulting attitude. We got through it because we'd been friends before. You can't hate a guy. Uh, first time I went up to his house, uh, we were greeted at the gate by two enormous pigs or hogs, I don't know, like small buffalo, enormous. And they were named Buck and Blanche. I go in his house and there's parquet floor, wooden parquet floors and imprinted all over them like it was a design were hoof prints, if, whatever you call the foot of a pig. As it turns out, Buck and Blanche were allowed to come in the house on a regular basis, including to watch television at night. Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> And these these suckers must have weighed. I, I don't know how big pigs get, but eight or nine hundred pounds, I'm guessing, maybe bigger. Enormous and snorting and drooling and so on. And I, I remember thinking, okay, he's a multimillionaire. Uh, he lives in this palatial estate. And uh, I've insulted his uh, sister and he still has me up to the house. And didn't hide the pigs. Now, there's a man who is comfortable in his own skin. Oh, no kidding. And you didn't yeah. ask for a bacon sandwich, did you? <laughs> no, no. <Okay. laughs> no, that's not the place to do it. No. Yeah. I, I'm picturing this in my head. I mean, 
my grandparents had pigs when we would go really spend our summers at the farm. And, you know, I spent a lot of time around pigs and chickens and tractors. And I remember one time there was, I didn't know what it was, but we were always told to slop the hogs. And I hated doing that because they rush you. They'll scare the bejeebers out of you, (laughs) especially when you're a small kid. But there were these buckets that were standing outside on, on the porch. And I just, without being told, I just grabbed them and slopped the hogs. Turns out she'd been making bathtub gin. You know where this is going. They got so drunk that they broke out of the fencing and they ran down to the creek, which she would call a creek. And they just went face down and started gulping down water. Even pigs know that you need to drink a lot of water after you tied one on, apparently. Apparently. I'm happy to report in, in my story, Buck and Blanche were sober. Uh, but if you're yeah if you're 800 pounds you're still a problem in my opinion (laughs) it's amazing what people will do yeah i i know somebody or knew somebody here he's long since gone but yeah i live in the middle of oil field country and you know if you travel one way down the highway from here to the back way to new orleans you're going to see nothing but oil field supply Mm -hmm. companies and had this friend that he drove up one time in a brand spanking new Rolls Royce. And he said, Hey, you want to drive it? And I said, Nope, I can't afford the insurance. He said, Oh, I'm going to wreck it anyway. So, okay. So I took off with the car and I was gone for about an hour. It was beautiful, drove like a dream. And then the next time I saw it, he had been putting oil field stuff in it he treated it like a pickup truck oh my god i know when he passed away i saw it at the back of of his lot and i'm not sure there weren't some pipes standing on top of it he had just destroyed it but it was his and he liked it so he drove it that's a a confidence that you're going to be able to make whatever you need to make exactly that's exactly (laughs) right but i said no i can't drive that he said denise you can't hurt it wait till you see what i do to it (laughs) <laughs> I will take you at your word. Yeah, you don't need to wipe your feet before you get in no, this one. No, no. And I think as I was the last clean person in that car. <laughs> Ray, Ray Considine, my old friend, the guy who wrote Waymish, W-A-Y-M-I-S-H. Why are you making it so hard mm. for me to give you my money? Uh, one of It's a cute idea and the book is filled with little stories good and bad i have one of each in there myself but anyway ray considine was quite a character and he said to me one day somebody had gotten a new rolls royce back and i don't know what they cost now but the starter kit back then was about three hundred thousand dollars and somebody who was with us said it's stupid to pay three hundred thousand dollars for a car there is no car worth $300,000. And Ray turned to me, he said, spoken by a man who has obviously never ridden in a $300,000 car. <laughs> and I did some work with British Motors in San Francisco and discovered he was right. There is a difference. Oh, yeah. You know, Rolls yeah. used to say that driving down the highway at 60 miles an hour or whatever, the loudest thing in the, in the Rolls is the clock. And you saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm in heaven, oh, my God. I I didn't turn anything on in that car. I kept it very quiet, and I could hear my own breathing. Mm -hmm. 
probably I was hyperventilating and didn't know it, but it was, it was just one of those experiences. And I kept saying, are you sure? Cause I figured, I knew he was nuts, but I didn't think he was that nuts A nice guy, but oh my God, when he treated it like a pickup truck, I'm not sure they could ever even restore. I'm sure they could restore it, but it would have been a lot of work. It might have probably probably customized, but somebody that I knew or knew of had a Rolls Royce pickup truck. You know, and and I thought, well, if you're gonna, I hadn't heard your story, but I'm thinking, if you're gonna use it as a pickup truck, why would you get a Rolls? But it was, I mean, it looked like an El, Ford El Camino, except it had the big Rolls grill and the flying lady or whatever she is. And the, uh, it was a Rolls, but it was a pickup truck, extended bed. Oh, wow. Well, you know, if you've got the money and you don't mind spending it, do mm-hmm. what you like with it, you know, do with impunity. We were talking last week because we're getting, a, thank goodness, we're getting a lot of people sending us notes saying, hey, Ben, what do you think about this? And they're asking for advice, mostly from you, because, the, you know, sales is very important. I'm getting a few people asking about podcasting, but we'll take that on a, on another show because I've got something that I'll be wanting to talk about during that one that will lead into it. But I don't think we covered everything that you had last week. Was there anything that we might have missed? I have a couple of notes here that came from other people. One was most embarrassing moment uh, on stage. And the answer, yeah, I've I've had numerous ones. You have to almost think about that for a minute. Uh, Squatted down at the Hollywood Palladium in front of three or 4,000 people to get something out of my briefcase. I don't know why, but it was on the stage edge. And I went over and squatted down. Well, it turns out if you press... um, mohair suits too many times they were quite the fashion in the 60s if you press them too many times the seam gets like a piece of paper you folded and folded and folded so you can tear along an edge so in front of three or four thousand people five thousand whatever it was i walk over the briefcase squat down and both pair both legs split from starting at the knee, but all the way down to the cuff at the bottom and all the way up to my underwear uh, at the top on both legs. And uh, it's I don't until I stood up, I figured most people, unless you're in the first few rows, uh, didn't notice, probably, although I heard a little murmuring and giggling. And uh, so I thought, okay, get on with it. You know, you, your speech is planned out. It doesn't allow for costume changes. So I uh, stood up, walked back to the lectern and went on with my talk. And there was a wave of laughter, but then it died down. And I finished my talk with you able to get glimpses of my underwear and the tops of my socks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you had underwear on. These days, you just don't know. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that would have been even worse. And then uh, uh, Bill Dempsey, my, my one of my early mentors, the guy who brought me into holiday magic. He ran a little ad that Jimmy Rucker and I and Zig Ziglar all answered on the same day. Somebody told me, by the way, that anniversary is coming up on Friday. It was really? Wednesday, September 15th, 1965, that we answered the ad and went in. 
But Bill Dempsey was, again, my mentor. He'd been an Arthur Murray dance instructor. He was a hardcore sales pro. <clears throat> and we had a system. This comes to the heading of embarrassing moments. We had a system. If you couldn't close your prospects after the meeting, the film ran. It said, turn to the person who brought you here. Ask how you can get started. And all the magic lights come up. And, and you're supposed to go into your closing script. If it's not working or you're not working or something, you raise your hand and a more experienced person came over and gently slipped in and, and began to uh, give the presentation the way it should have been. Well, I raised my hand and sure enough, Bill Dempsey came over. He was, oh, I'm guessing 15 years older than I was, far more experienced and a hardcore closer. So he said, yes, Mr. Gay. Uh, can I be of assistance? I said, well, I'm having a little trouble explaining this. He says, okay, I understand. He sat down, uh, had his legal pad with him, began drawing circles and so on. And he got to some point. I said, yeah. And that's where I started and, and so on. And he did this slow take. Think of Jack Benny. This slow take where he turned to me uh, with his, you know, no sound, no facial expression. Uh, and a smarter person than I was, I was 23, would have said, oh, excuse me. And uh, so uh, he, I finished and he turned back and he said, as I was saying, uh, and went back into the presentation, then he hit on some other point that spurred me. I said, yeah, that's great, you know, and here's another thing. And so when he did the turn back, and we went through the whole procedure again. Again, I realized perhaps I'd interrupt him, interrupted him inappropriately, but he didn't say anything to me. He just looked at me almost like he was interested in what I was saying. Um, I, sh I shut up. He turned almost back. Almost being the operative word. <laughs> yeah. He turns back to uh, the uh, legal pad and starts back in on his little closing presentation. And I jumped in again. And Bill pushed his chair back, stood up. He used to have a little dramatic thing he did about straightening his cufflinks. And and uh, back then we smoked in the open, maybe getting out a cigarette and firing up his gold Dunhill lighter, but whatever. He took a long time to stand up when it was obvious he was going to talk. And he turned to my prospects, three or four of them, I'm guessing, and says, I'm very sorry. We have a system here that when you can't close your prospect, you raise your hand and someone who could close them comes over to help. That's what Mr. Gay did. He raised his hand because he couldn't close you. And that's the reason I'm here. But apparently in the last few minutes, Mr. Gay has had a breakthrough in thinking, and now he believes he can close you. So this should be interesting. Have a good evening and walks away from the table. Jeez. <laughs> That's the TO, the takeover, the turnover, uh, close. And I'm telling you, when you're taught like that, it only takes once. Once. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I never mean, did he, it again. And he and smacked I, you into the ground. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it stuck. I bet. Uh, I taught how to do TOs from that time on. I said, don't you dare say a word. If asked a question, you answer with a direct question. You turn to me like 
he'll answer that. If that work doesn't work, you answer with a yes or a no and shut up again. And if you don't, let me tell you what's going to happen. And I would tell him the Bill Dempsey story. <laughs> I will leave you in humiliation in front of your prospects. Yeah, you'll be weeping on the floor. <laughs> I would, I, I'm trying to think what I would do. Well, to be honest, I would have caught on after the first smack. But, you know, women are different from men. Yeah, a little more sensitive, perhaps, to nuances. Maybe. Either that <laughs> We know we're about to get clobbered, and we'd rather not. So, <laughs> there is that. I had so, a similar experience when I was manufacturer's rep again, same rep company I was working for when I had a horrible air, uh, hairspray experience. I was calling on the largest florist in Atlanta, and among the things we sold was Indiana glass. That's that white stuff vases and bowls and all that your flowers come in is that the hobnail stuff i don't know i don't know that term but it's milk milk glass it's called it's it's white and you'll get a dozen roses in it or whatever but uh, the indiana glass had a closeout a whole bunch of glass that i guess were discontinued or overstocks or something and they were given to my boss and he gave them to me to sell, and I got a higher commission on them. Plus, it was a whole bunch of stuff and a targeted audience. There wasn't any doubt about where you went to sell Indiana Glass florist first. So I got this appointment with the with the big florist company. I forget what their name was in Atlanta. And I went in and I showed him, and, and this is all 50% off the price. You're probably already buying it anyway. And uh, so he said, you're right, I am. And uh, I said, so anyway, if you take the whole car load or whatever it was, uh, you get 50% off. He said, that's wonderful. Uh, Write it up. And so I got out my order pad and felt around in my pockets. I didn't have a pen on me. I said, could I borrow a pen, please? And he said, what? I said, a pen to write this up. He said, you've called on me to sell me this huge amount of Indiana glass. You knew uh, that there was a possibility I would buy it and therefore you'd have to write it up. And you came to me without a pen. And I said, yes, sir, I'm sorry. Could I, could I borrow a pen? He said, no. He said, this is going to call, this is going to, this lesson I'm about to teach you is going to make you a lot of money long run, but it's going to cost you a lot of money today. And it's going to cost me a lot of money because I'm going to have to buy all this stuff anyway over the next year or so at full price. Uh, But I'm not going to give you the order today. Any salesperson, I'm paraphrasing, but I think the gist of it was any salesperson stupid enough to call on somebody without a pen on them doesn't deserve an order. Have a great day. Uh, He wasn't wrong. I mean, yeah. you were not prepared. Right. You had to have known that it was not just a possibility. It was a probability, probably more than right. it. Yeah. And you didn't yeah. check your pockets. No, it didn't even cross my mind to check my pockets. That's the embarrassing part. It's not like I forgot. I just got dressed and went to my first appointment. And uh, so anyway, it was a great lesson. I now I'm sitting at a desk and I'm looking around me. There are three nice pens 
right on from right in front of me on the desk, a coffee cup with another dozen or so in it. I have one in my pocket. It's always in my pocket. If I were in the shower, there's a Formica board with a hole drilled in it, so I can hang it over the shower head. And hanging from that is a grease pencil. And right outside the shower is a pen with a little memo pad. I am never out of arm's reach of a pen and something to write on and haven't been since that horrible day at the florist's office in Atlanta. But that's how you learn uh, great lessons, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, I agree. There, there are easier ways, <laughs> but that's that's where they stick. Well, and the thing is, I mean, it made such an impact on you and how you operate from that moment going forward that you've never forgotten it. No. And that's that what lessons a, are about. You know, lessons need to stick. That was over 50 years ago. And right. I still remember what the room looked like. I know what I was wearing. I know what he was wearing because <laughs> my life flashed in front of me. And, and, I, and I already shot my wad in that I called on the biggest forest in Atlanta. That was my chance to sell them all at one time and be done with it instead of a case at a time over the next year. In fact, I don't even remember the rest of what happened to it. I Probably my boss said, well, we'll all work on it and wound up selling him. Uh, selling them himself. And I had one other note uh, from our conversation that got cut off. Um, and it's the, somebody had asked about the power of influence and association. And this is a story I tell frequently, forgive me if I'm repeating it, but um, it, it fit the question. Uh, the, uh, the story was a young man in business on Wall Street, goes to John D. Rockefeller Sr., back when he was alive, young man, long since dead too, now that I think about it, and he gave him his business proposal. Let's do this, and I want to do this, and so on, so on, I want to help you. Well, the young, I need your help. Rockefeller liked the young guy, said the answer, the question, uh, pardon me, I had a side thought. The, uh, proposition uh, was a good one. And he said, well, it's just too small for me. And I don't have time to find out about the business. And I don't invest in things I don't understand and so on. And the guy was crestfallen. And but Rockefeller said, but I will walk slowly with you across the stock trading floor, deep in conversation. And the young guy apparently telling the story later, said at first I didn't understand the significance of that, but he's walking slowly across the floor of the New York Stock Exchange with John D. Rockefeller Sr., deep in conversation. They might have been talking about golf ball, I know, but seemingly deep in conversation. Rockefeller turns off, guy gets on the elevator, goes to wherever he's going. When he gets to his office, he is... Uh, oversubscribed for his proposition with people who didn't even hear the presentation. They just wanted in on what John D. Rockefeller found so fascinating. Perception. And, so important. Yeah, it really is. And I, I, I'm a master at that. One, I make friends easily. Two, I don't make friends accidentally. If there's an interesting 
influential character in the room, I will be talking to him or her rather quickly. Uh, it's how I've met astronauts and madams and uh, people in deep inside prisons. It's how I met Charlie Manson, etc. I, I've found the stories you can build. Are, first of all, they're interesting. And then the stories you can build from that are fascinating. I could, there's no way for me to break it out, but I could almost break out the separate money I've made talking about my association with Dr. Napoleon Hill. You know, he's passed into mythdom at this point, but he was my good friend, stayed at the house, had a permanent chair in my office and was my mentor the last two and a half years of his life. And I now do for others what he did for me. But among the reasons I'm able to do it for others is I talk openly about Dr. Hill and Ogmandino and Zig Ziglar and uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Norman Vincent Peale, uh, et cetera, all the people that I've worked with and, and uh, they work for us and so on over the years. So to our listeners, the lesson here is Earl Nightingale. Don't forget him. Earl Nightingale. Yeah. Uh, I've got a list that I send to podcasters. I was stunned at how many people were on it, like 50 household names ranging from Charlie Manson up to Earl Nightingale and everybody in between. Uh, but there's an interesting story with every one of them. And I trade on them. It, one, it comes naturally. They were buddies, and so it's good to talk about them. And But I know what I'm doing. I talk to listeners on this show. You should know to blend into your conversations that you know, listen to, and therefore, if by second generation, work with Denise Griffiths, the uh, queen of the, the podcast world and a big influence in selling, and pardon my ego, they should know that you work with me, Ben Gay III, and if they've been in selling over 30 minutes, they've heard of me, uh, either because of the product, Ben Gay, <laughs> some think they've heard of me and don't know why, or or because yeah. of my books, or there, because you, of the... Yeah, you don't smell pink, or is that... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't... I, one of the lotions in their advertising says, uh, you know, blah, 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 it does this, does this, and you won't stink. And <laughs> they are referring to Ben Gay. I, it bothers I think, me every time I hear it. I think it smells pink. I'm not sure where I got that idea, but. It's, it's, I think it's minty. Oh, I don't know. Or spearminty or something. Something's pink that you yeah. rub on you. You know, they're. Our jokes saying you can you know when you're at a, a boomer concert because it smells pink and like weed. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, I know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> they're talking about Ben Gay, yeah, except, for the, except for the weed. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, learn how to work that into your conversations. Uh, the uh, Earl Nightingale. So I'm glad you brought him up. Earl Nightingale asked me to do for their company, build a distributor organization, what we had done with Holiday Magic. And he was, Earl was the voice of Holiday Magic and all of our affiliated companies. You know, hello, this is Earl Nightingale for State Power Motor Oil Additives, one of our companies. Hello, this is Earl Nightingale. 
for uh, holiday magic and so on. And uh, a, a great, great guy. But anyway, they were having trouble launching their distributor organization. So I wrote scripts for them. And then I, as I always do, I went out to test the scripts, call on the people they would be calling on and uh, run it by him. And I discovered much to my chagrin because he was such a big deal in my life. And I had heard his little five minute radio program, Our Changing World on the radio for years. Um, uh, I was stunned that other people, one guy said to me, how is playing bird calls? going to help our staff i said bird calls he said well you keep talking about this nightingale nightingale right and it dawned on me this guy running a good-sized business had never heard of a little nightingale so i changed the script to of course you've heard of a little nightingale the most listened to radio voice in the world heard daily uh, on over 700 radio stations in the united states and canada to which everybody began to say oh yes yes because no one wanted to be the only idiot on the planet who had never heard of the uh, most listened to radio voice in the world. Uh, I have people in the gold business and they brought on uh, some people to endorse them and do their television commercials for them. Among them, Dr. Uh, excuse me, Judge Napolitano. Oh. Highly regarded. Right. Res- Even I know. Yeah. Yeah, res- respected, no scandal and so on. So I'm teaching their staff how to say very few sentences that don't have Judge Napolitano in them. They never heard of the founder of the company they actually work for, but they know Judge Napolitano. And they've in the last few days, they brought on the guy who wrote Rich Man, Poor Man. I forget what his name is, but uh, the guy from Hawaii, I think, uh, brought him on and uh, some other highly regarded gold guy. And I said, you get in with these are your buddies now. Take them to lunch, meet them, be able to say, honestly, this is my friend. You and I today, it came out instinctively, we're talking about Zig Ziglar. If if I'm in a sales situation, I want you to know that Zig and I were friends. We joined on the same day, joined the same company. I beat him in a year-long sales contest. The mystery prize was presidency of the company. His was second prize was Rolls Royce. <clears throat> Zig and I used to laugh because I, looking back, I think he won and I got second place. It was a lot more fun driving that Rolls, I suspect, than running this big company when I was 25 years old and unqualified. I pulled it off, but just between you and me, I was unqualified. Uh, so, uh, well, at your age, it, you would have to be. Yeah. Given that you had zero experience. I was 25 the day I met Dr. Hill. 23 the day I joined the company. So, yeah. I've heard this story so many times from you, and I still just go, what the heck? (laughs) Yeah, that is just an astonishing story. I didn't know. I never heard the term imposter complex. It hadn't been given that label yet. But uh, I had imposter complex for quite some time. I'd be sitting in my office. I'm running a sales organization that, you know, the independent contractors, they weren't on the payroll, but independent contractors, a sales organization totaled at any given time about a million people spread out over 20 countries in five major companies. And I did, I was 25 and didn't know how to balance a checkbook. 
And I used to wait for whenever Bill Patrick, the owner of the company, came in, he'd go two quick knocks. We didn't wait to be invited in. That was just a courtesy knock, and then the door would open. And every t- every time I heard the two knocks, I used to think to myself, okay, this is it. This is where he comes in and says, Ben, uh, I had a few minutes, and I was reviewing your qualifications, and uh, we've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> oh, I would wait for that, too. Yeah. I have to be honest with you, and I don't know if I've ever shared this with you or we've even had this conversation, but he had to have been a man of impeccable character to stick with the deal that he had made. If um, it, and it looked like it could go wrong in so many ways. Yeah. He stopped. Uh, and oddly enough, he knew me. I asked him, why was it a mystery prize? And he said, in case somebody won it that I didn't like. Right. And right. I thought, well, that's clever. But I had spent, I don't know how it happened, but I got a call. Would you accompany Bill Patrick on this 25 city speaking tour? that he's going to do and uh, be be his bag man, but also introduce him at the seminars. And I guess I'd gotten a reputation of being able to talk readily. So uh, when uh, I won the contest, I wasn't meeting a stranger. I'd spent 25 days up close and personal, but I hadn't displayed any business skills. I just carried the bags, put on a suit and introduced him at night. He did kid me about my, he said, your introduction is getting longer every night. It's about as long as my speech now. Do you think you could cut it back? <laughs> but it, it, got, it got better it... and better and better and longer and longer and longer. Ah. So, so yes, but it was because he liked me. I think he was willing to give me some slack because he liked me. Well, and again, I mean, he could have just bailed out on you at any time, but a deal's a deal. Yeah, and about the time that he could have bailed, he could have bailed out any time, but about the time maybe he should have bailed out, what he did instead was he hired Dr. Napoleon Dr. Hill right. to be my mentor. And I, I suspect there might have been a little of what have I done <laughs> <laughs> behind that situation. Yeah, but the thing is, he did it. And now <laughs> you are in the position of being the final mentee of Dr. Napoleon Hill. And I've got to tell you, we're going back to, you know, there's, I don't believe in coincidences, serendipity, maybe coincidences. No, that was meant to happen. But I I was thinking about you last night because recently, I mean, I don't sleep well anyway. It's not one of my higher skills, but I really haven't been sleeping at all. And, you know, I'll be awake at still, still awake at four in the morning going, well, how am I going to manage some sleep? (laughs) I got to sleep, but I got hooked over the last couple of nights watching YouTube videos and I never watch TV or I'm just not a watcher, but somehow I came across this guy and he is he's a fascinating guy and he's looking at music from all genres and he's looking at Led Zeppelin. He's a young black man. He likes hip hop and he likes his certain type of music. Led Zeppelin was never going to be on his radar until it was because people would say, Hey, you know, can you go ahead and and look at this and give us your reactions? His whole YouTube is a reaction. You know, each one is a reaction video. I was fascinated. I mean, he was looking at Queen. He was looking at Pavarotti. He was looking at Led Zeppelin. He was looking at Heart. He was looking at, you know, bands that I'd never heard of. And he was so thoughtful 
about all of these different things. And you would not expect somebody who's been raised on hip hop and, you know, music that frankly, I don't care for it. I just don't, it mm. doesn't, it doesn't appeal to me at all. And he was so thoughtful about these. And I thought, oh, I'm going to send him Earl Nightingale. Well, I want to see what he thinks about Earl, Earl Nightingale. Well, whenever I, and I still listen to it, I have the original record. I know. That Bill Dempsey gave me of the greatest secret. And the, when it starts to play, and I still listen to it frequently about once a month. I used to listen to it two or three times a day <laughs> to keep going in the right direction. But uh, when I listened to it, even though I knew Earl, like all humans, he had his faults. I knew the faults. We were buddies. When he begins to talk, hello, this is Earl Nightingale. It's like God is talking to me. I know. Magnificent voice, magnificent thinking ability. And he wrote all of his material. If you ever heard Earl say anything, and he was in the studio, he was reading, and he was reading what he wrote. The Stranger's Secret was written when he had an insurance agency, and he used to have a sales meeting every Saturday morning. And one week he wasn't going to be there. So he wrote and recorded what became the strangest secret for one sales meeting, one day for probably 10 or 12 people. And it went on to become the largest selling non-entertainment recording in history. Now, and he does have a truly amazing voice. And I remember one of the very first conversations you and I had on this podcast and we were talking about Earl Nightingale because I've, I listen to everything. I read all of it. I just, the guy has always fascinated me even before I knew you. And you were talking about the voice of God. So after that, <laughs> my cats, and I'm pretty sure it was Hamilton is an ass. Hashtag Hamilton is an ass was really misbehaving out in the living room. And I didn't even stick my head around, you know, they, he couldn't see me. And I said, in the voice of God, get off that counter. And he did. And I, <laughs> Oh, that works. <laughs> so, and I know he was, he whipped around and went, I don't see her. What? What's going on? But I remember telling you that story and you laughed just like you just now, because mm -hmm. you never know when you're going to have to whip out that voice. <laughs> <laughs> it was magnificent. And I think I've yeah. told you this, but I'll, I'll shorten it. He asked me to go to lunch with him one day when I was in Chicago visiting him in his office. And we walked across the little canal or whatever it is, comes off Lake, Lake Michigan. I almost froze to death. Walked into this restaurant and a guy stood to greet us. Obvious, you know, that he was waiting for us. And by the way, he looked at us and when he stood and all but I didn't recognize him because I'd never seen a picture of him, but it was Paul Harvey. And uh, he, Earl was taking me to his friendly rival for lunch. They were both uh, doing head-to-head -head battle in Chicago in the beginning and then all over the nation later on. But you're talking about the voice. I'm sitting there. I'm 25, maybe years old. <clears throat> I've never had an Earl Nightingale voice. And uh, I'm sitting between Earl on my left and Paul Harvey on my right, thinking of ways not to have to say anything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I would be sitting on my hands because I can't talk without my hands. If you want to shut me up, just grab my hands. I'm done. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> that was the longest lunch I've ever had and probably the longest time I've ever gone without saying anything other than I'm not even sure I ordered out loud. I think I pointed at the menu <laughs> for the waiter because I just really didn't want to sound like Minnie Mouse <laughs> among God and his assistant. Right. Yeah, they both are just spectacular voices and they presented life. So mm -hmm. they really did. Listen, I don't want to run out of time again, but next time I've got page 39 open on the closers and cash in on the snafus. So let's write that down and, and touch on that a bit next week. I'm moving. You have your daylighter open? Yeah. Snafus, that is. Snafus, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I've moved the bookmark and that's where we'll start next week. Perfect. Listen, before I let you go, tell, you know, you mentioned earlier that you're doing for other people what Dr. Napoleon Hill did for you. And you've been doing this with me for years. I mean, you've been my mentor for many, many years. Whether you even knew it or not, you've always been my mentor since I've known you. But where you do have a program, and where can people find it? Well, you just shoot me an email. The email address is B as in Ben, F as in Frank, G as in Gay, the number three, BFG3. At DirectCon, it's short for Direct Connect, D-I-R-E-C-T-C-O-N, as in November, dot net. And just say in the subject line or in a quick message, tell me about the mentoring program, and I will send you a, a letter. No cost, no obligation, I'm not going to phone you and follow up. I'll just send you a letter that explains uh, what we call mentoring dynamics. That's the program Dr. Hill and I were working on when he died. And I put it on the back shelf of 40 years and then got it out and started doing for others what he did for me. And that's basically, I'm older. That brings you some experience. It brings you some wisdom. I know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> I know where the, where the winners are of today. And, uh, I've got the magic Rolodex. If I don't know the answer to your question, we're two cards in the Rolodex away from connecting you to the person who does. And uh, we have a financing program if you need it. And uh, now that's the good news. Bad news is I only do, it depends on who they are. Some take up a lot of time. And so when I have one of those, I have to cut back on the slots. But uh, I only do 30 to 35 people at a time max and currently i'm guessing there are five or six openings so if it's of interest to you in even finding out about it shoot me that email perfect and where can people find the closers books best deals special pricing and free shipping although they're still signed and dated by me they actually come from a different company uh, go to stores, S-T-O-R-E-S dot eBay dot com forward slash, this is all one word, Ronzoni Books, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E-B-O-O-K-S. And they will go, if they're in by, if the order's in by two, it'll go out the same day. Uh, if not, the next business day, and we'd love to have you business. And if you're listening to these broadcasts, you really ought to have the books because 
a lot of what I refer to comes from the books. I lost my mute button. I dropped the whole thing on. <laughs> I was trying to tag my book and and yeah, two things at one time. It's beyond my ability. Trust now me. Tell them how they reach you with your podcast since you're the genius in that area. Oh, thank you. It's honestly you can't throw a stick on the internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. We're ranked in the top two percent of the most popular podcasts globally, and it's really because of my insanely talented guests who, like you, Ben, are just, you know, so willing to come on and spend an hour with me and just give up the information. They help. You know, they're, they're just amazing. When I say my, my podcast guests are my mentors, I'm not kidding. And my entrepreneurial library, you know, your books are in here. I've got hundreds of books in this room. Every single book in here was gifted to me, and I've got more coming. They arrive every week. I may get one or two a week. I may get 10 a week. I do a lot of reading and I do a lot of being very, very thankful, but I'm easy to find. And to find what Ben and I are doing, you can go to denisegriffiths.com. It's just my name, Denise, D-E-N-I-S-E, G-R-I-F-F as in Frank, I-T-T as in Tom, S, Griffiths. There's no H. There's no N. I keep telling my dentist that, and after 20 years, <laughs> I figure it out, but it's not Griffiths. It's Griffiths. But just go to denisegriffiths.com, or if you want to know more about the podcast, just anywhere, you know, wherever you consume your business podcasts, you can find me, Audible, Spotify. I had a man call me the other day from uh, Amsterdam, and when I asked him, how did you find my podcast? He said, oh, Spotify. I said, really? I didn't know. <laughs> so you just never know where you're going to find us, but we're everywhere. So just throw a stick on the internet, find us, send us your questions. If you've got questions about podcasting or web development or just success in general, and most definitely about sales, we're your people. We're here to help you. I, as you know, I highly recommend you and endorse you and you carry the seal of approval of the National Association of Professional Salespeople, and we're proud to have you. Thank you. I'm so proud of that. That's the first time I've ever gotten a seal. And I was like, oh, it's a good one, too. <laughs> I'm really pleased with that. Well, listen, before we say goodbye, I would like to remind everybody to yeah, be sure to look for us in iTunes. Send us your questions. Ben just gave you his email address. You can find me anywhere on the internet. Look, Ben is in LinkedIn and Facebook. I'm there, but I'm also everywhere else. So there's no reason not to be able to locate us. Anyway, thank you for being with us. We will be back next week. And Ben, thank you so much. I love you. Love you, dude. You have a great day. You too. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.